What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Well, I think today is my favorite pod of the year to put together. That's saying a lot. Okay. Um, it is week one. Duh, obviously. I feel like this is one of the first times all year during the whole week, during the whole week, when nothing can get me down. Nothing. And I know I talked about my mood, you know, going into week zero and like football is the great thing that kind of saves in some of those spots. But week one, the buzz is in the air. It feels really good. You are in Austin right now. I can assume you're doing a little bit of intel for Alabama ahead of the week two matchup, correct? That's exactly what I'm doing. I, I peeped the stadium, you know, couldn't really park because of course you got to have seven different permits. You got to be an oil donor. Neither could get a Boom. Get it. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, you gotta have ranches to be able to park near that stadium. So kind of did a little drive by. Was figured it out. It's a wild. If you guys have never been here, it's it's a wild place. It's a. Uh, I always assumed Austin was like actually a college town, and no, it's a massive city with a massive stadium. And it's funny because their stadium would look big if it wasn't in the middle of a city. But like, like if you put Bryant Denny in the middle of a city, it would look shorter than skyscrapers. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, dang, this actually looks tiny. And I'm like, wait, no, this city is just massive. Yeah, it's it's weird. There are a few stadiums like that in college football that you're reminded, oh, this this is an actual place besides mm-hmm. just the university. And I know that that a lot would change if you took the university out of a specific like big city. Like Columbus is another example of that where that city is Columbus, huge. big big place, and mm-hmm. not a typical college town at all. Where it just feels like, oh, I can see the stadium from space. Certain places are like that, and then certain places aren't. Uh, we got a lot to get to. We have a ton to get to. Oh, by the way, I almost forgot. SEC is on pace to go 56-0 and in non-conference play. Shout out to Vandy. Mm-hmm. who just squeaked that one out. Little little rain delay. Your boy stayed up until 1240 a.m. watching that. No big deal. We're just grinding. That's what we do. Week zero. No big deal. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you don't got to get ready if you stay ready, man. You're already in mid-season form watching Vandy Hawaii. You know, it only gets better from here, really. The mid-season form was having the game on when it was 35, 14 thinking I really like a lot. I, I like Vandy's got like five or six guys that I, I keep telling myself and I promise we're not going to go in depth on Vandy, but Vandy has five or six guys that I, that I tell myself they can make a play in any given moment. And I kept telling myself uh, my AJ Swan prediction of six touchdown passes is going to come true. I need to stay up and watch this. And then I stayed up and had to watch Vandy essentially hold on for dear life and need an interception to be able to close it out. But that's neither here nor there. 56 mm-hmm. and 0, the SEC is on pace to go in non-conference play. Plan for today. Barrett Lee is going to join us in a little bit. little week zero perspective. We don't spend too much time on that. But just to make sense of a couple of the things that we saw from Notre Dame USC, he's got some SEC predictions that might ruffle a couple of feathers here and there. We talk about who gets fired, playoff stuff, more. Uh, we're going to close with Bold and Brash, week one edition, and a lot of the week. Week one picks and over-unders. If you've never listened to our preview pod before, this is going to be a little bit different than what we've typically done for those who have listened before. We're going to tweak just a couple of things. Still going to be mostly the same. We're still going to do our over-unders, all that stuff. But rather than trying to preview 14 games, most of which are expected to be massive blowouts, we're only going to do full previews for Power 5 versus Power 5 games involving SEC teams this year. That's the way this is going to work. So we'll have our usual over-unders, picks against the spread for, for those. But we're doing something that I'm going to call Three Wishes until I come up with a better name. I was just thinking Genie in a Bottle. I don't know why they settled on Three Wishes that you get. Mm-hmm. Wish for more wishes every single time. Duh. Every obviously. time. Yeah. Just three things that I want to see over the weekend. Big picture items. So we'll hit on some of the other, some of the other teams that 
obviously have more favorable matchups in week one. And then we will do lock of the week, which was incredible last year, despite the fact that my regular picks were anything but incredible. So feel free to fade all of my regular picks. Uh, Note that because we're recording this on Monday afternoon this week, those Thursday games, Mizzou is hosting South Dakota, Florida, obviously on the road against Utah. Those spreads are probably going to change. So don't take those necessarily verbatim if if you're hearing people talk about them earlier in the week. After this week, we'll have pretty much normal a normal schedule with preview pods coming out on Thursday morning. That's going to be the plan. So Florida at Utah, number 14, Utah, America's team is a touchdown favorite, seven points, a line that's moved all over the place. And it's moved all over the place because of our over-under, which is 0.5 snaps for Cam Rising. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, we could see that line move a lot more based on Cam Rising. He has said this could be a true game time decision for him coming off the torn ACL. Uh, Kyle Whittingham is super secretive when it comes to injuries, especially with rising. If you kind of look at the way he's talked about it the last couple of years, even not just with this, I'm willing to admit something. Will. Hmm. Um, when I said clip it after <laughs> cam rising is definitely playing in this game. Mm. Uh, your, your boy, he got a little ahead of himself, a little ahead of his skis, never been skiing, but I got ahead of them. I know that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm just going to go on record and say, I don't know just yet. I would still think he's going to play, but I feel not as good about that. I will not be saying clip this. Okay. Well, that will not be the case today. I think someone that tough is going to be playing though. Hester always says that he is the official quarterback of the all meathead team that he and Bobby Carpenter do because <laughs> mm-hmm. he's the most fearless quarterback in the country. And that could be what brings him back too early. Who knows? That's probably also why he's had two major knee surgeries in the Rose Bowl alone, which is weird. Mm-hmm. For Florida, though, this is this is monumental for a couple of reasons. I get that last year's game was not a barometer of the season ahead. I don't remember how we, we were pretty much. I don't want to say that we were. Um, we were definitely lower than the consensus on Florida after that game. When expectations mm-hmm. went through the roof. Do you remember what we said after that game? Because I was trying to think of that today as to like the way that we phrased it. But there was something that basically said, everybody chill. And let's realize that this game could have gone a different way. Very easily, if not for an interception. A really nice play made in the end zone. Right. Yeah, no, I think, you know, you did or I did come away from that game thinking a little bit of the, you know, the stereotypical these Pac-12 linemen are just over their heads. I mean, the Florida lines got after it in that game. And it was just, it was crazy the way that like, you know, they Florida came in and played like the veteran team for one week. <laughs> and I was yep. like, you know, but once you kind of get in to the SEC, once you start getting the attrition, as much as we love our, our thick king, Desmond Watson, he's not out there for the whole game. You know what I'm saying? And Florida's depth after that started to come through. But that's why college football is so great for any Saturday, you know, those those guys can shine and have their moment so yeah it seemed like it was just a it, the home field mattered a lot and those those boys came ready to play for billy napier for a week yeah i, I think there's a difference between saying that it's a there's a chance for a big win versus something is going to be a sign of future success and those right. are two different things in the case of florida was that that's that's how it played out last year but if you're billy napier your defensive coordinator hire austin armstrong I don't, I don't care if they got their fifth string quarterback for Utah, which they might, who knows? You got a chance to to make a statement on national television, go up to Utah and push that team around, do something that nobody does. Nobody pushes Utah around. 
That's just not the way that they get beat. Rarely do we see that happen even when they lose. And the fact that this game is at Utah, a place that they haven't lost at since 2020. They haven't lost at with fans, their home fans in attendance since 2018. It's been mm-hmm. five years since they lost at home with a home crowd. So I, I, I keep coming back to this. Like you just need to, to see these signs of life from your defense. And especially if there's a third or a four string quarterback in there. And if they're throwing the ball over the place, that's not going to make you feel particularly good. But you're, if you're Billy Napier, you need to show that your offense can avoid those catastrophic mistakes with a very, very big spotlight. I don't think Florida does that enough to win this game. I think it's some, I think it's an up and down showing from Graham Mertz. And he gives us some reasons to think maybe Billy Napier was right. Maybe he was right. And then I think we ultimately get too many moments where we say, that's just not enough. That's just not enough. If you're going to beat a team of this caliber, you need to fit that ball into a tighter window on the road. You need to be able to make that big time play on third and 12. Utah's got four preseason all pack 12 guys in the front seven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it is a loaded, loaded group up front. Florida's got one returning starter on the offensive line. We've talked about that a lot. The attrition there is, is the thing that gives you pause. So if Utah is able to limit what Florida does best, which is run the football with Montreal Johnson, Trevor Etienne, I think they have a path to win. And I think Utah wins kind of a low-scoring thriller. That's the way this plays out. But I'll say Florida covers. I'll say they cover plus seven. And instead, this is more like a 21-17 type game. And we have at least moments, moments, where we think Florida's about to pull off the upset, much like last year, where it was truly a down-to-the-wire game, even when Utah's driving at the very end and Florida makes the big defensive play, Amari Bernie in the end zone. How do you see this playing out? Do you think Florida covers this one, kind of regardless of the quarterback situation with Utah, or is this going to be ugly? Yeah, I think if you're Utah, you want to get out and run. I mean, we've seen Utah in these Rose Bowls that are you know up in the 40s and they're getting up and down the field. And I think that a low-scoring game is a nightmare for them. They've already lost one of those to Florida, obviously. But in a game where these couple of five stars or high four stars that Billy Napier has brought in can make the difference. I think that Utah needs to go out there and send a message early and say, Hey, you know, like you said, young defensive coordinator, we're going to, we're going to capitalize on your mistakes. We're going to use our synergy for us. And I mean, I think as a society, we all want to see um, Cam Rising and Graham Mertz together. If nothing else, you know, they can celebrate their 10 year high school union together. It'd be great. Um, <laughs> I think, I think, you know, that's just, two guys that we've seen a lot of. And I think that this is why, you know, guys stay and they are these leaders. And especially for a guy like Cam Rising, who not to disparage the guy, but he's so clearly a college quarterback, you know, especially with all all the injuries. He has no incentive to protect his future. He really like, this is going to be it for him, I think. And so, yeah, I, I, think it would be tough to not see him because he's just the heart and soul of Utah football. But at the same time, you know, if you're Kyle Whittingham, you're kind of at this point where it's like, Hey man, we've, we've beaten Alabama. <laughs> like we can't lose the Florida twice in a row. Like that's just not what we do here. And if they do, that's going to kind of cast it out. Not that the PAC 12 even has anything left to fight for because they're gone, but that's going to cast it out of everything happening out there because, you know, doing it once is a fluke. Doing it twice is a trend. And yeah, I think that Utah, almost no matter their quarterback situation, it doesn't do them any any good to play conservative at home. So I'm going to say Utah's going to score up in the 30s, probably allow kind of like a, a high teens, low 20s. Um, so I think Utah's going to cover. I have, for whatever reason, I have a weird feeling, just a weird feeling that no matter who plays quarterback for Utah, I can just picture Austin Armstrong on the sidelines celebrating like crazy. And they're doing the profile of him on ESPN and this 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 young defensive coordinator is dialing up all these unique pressures, and it's a little bit of a tough go for Utah. I don't know mm-hmm. why I picture that, but I, I just have a feeling that 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 part is going to be 
more of a hit than a miss for Florida this year. And it's going to keep him in a lot of games. I, I really yeah. think that despite the the pretty low projection in, in my personal crystal ball at six and six. But I, I wonder if some of that starts, some of that defensive belief kind of starts and at least maybe a few of those moments with Graham Mertz makes us believe this is going to look different than it did with Anthony Richardson. I'm not breaking news by saying that, but there are moments in which we think, okay, this guy is going to give you maybe a little bit of a higher floor. He's not going to go 36 minutes of game right. time without a completion. And he's going to keep you in some of these moments that might be a little bit optimistic. I don't know. I still have Utah winning this game without knowing the the final decision with, with cam rising um, playing in this game or not, but I think it's going to be a really good game. I'm looking forward to this one on Thursday nights. Um, okay. Virginia, I call it a road game because it basically is. I mean, they're going to Nashville to play Tennessee, number 12, Tennessee. Tennessee's a 28-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, this game in Nissan Stadium, home to the Tennessee Titans for now. The over-under I have, this is a fun one. And I'm going to try and not beat this to death too much, but we got to bring it up on the first pod, his first start of the year. The over-under is 68-and-a-half air yards for Joe Milton's longest pass of the day, and it can be incomplete. It doesn't have to be a completed pass. <laughs> Probably will right, be a yeah. pass. <laughs> attempt. Uh, oh, if, well, if we're going attempts, hundred. <laughs> yeah, make it make it a cool hundo. Uh, let's right. see Tennessee get backed up deep in its own territory, just so that we can see that uh, to have that moment. I was watching um, the pass that he had on the opening possession to Jalen Hyatt against Vandy, where it was. I remember thinking at the time, <clears throat> man, he really did not step into that at all. And Hyatt had to slow down. He had to slow down to catch this ball that traveled 61 yards. That was not the deepest drop in the world. You know, mm -hmm. not he's not taking a, an eight step drop here and winding it up and really launching into one. Like he's Doug Flutie against Miami or something like that. I mean, this was so effortless. And I wonder if there are moments in this game in which we see that arm on display and it's not connecting in that manner. I am interested in how Josh Heupel manages Joe Milton in the season opener. How many of those chances do you want to take? Do you know him well enough to say that's what gets him going? Because I thought it did against Vandy. And once he connected on that, it allowed him to settle in. And it wasn't like he was picking apart the Vandy defense in that game last year. Take that for what it is. The conditions, in the, the conditions dictated how that was going to be played. But still, I wonder how that is going to look because Virginia was actually tied with Iowa last year for fewest plays of 30 yards allowed all year. Oh, boy. It's, yeah, so as bad as Virginia was, they did not give up those home run plays. Three plays allowed of 40 yards was the fewest in Power 5. That's mm -hmm. pretty good. That's pretty, mm -hmm. Tennessee could do that in a quarter. So, I mean, they probably would. Tennessee could do that on the opening drive if they really wanted to. If they really set their mind to it, I believe that they could have 120 yards of offense on that first drive couple years ago, think back to that first Joe Milton start at Tennessee, where it was that, what was it? I think it was a Thursday night game against Bowling Green. Bowling Green. Yep. Yeah. Bowling Green was, uh, as you would say, Basura. Basura, basura. that year. Mm -hmm. he, he couldn't really get into a rhythm. Got got off to that great start because that's what the Josh Heupel offense was in year one. It was nobody in human history is capable of stopping us on the opening drive. And then he really couldn't settle into that rhythm. I would guess that this is going to be a really run heavy day for Tennessee with Jabari small, Jalen Wright, Dylan Sampson. They have that floor that is so good 
with that ground game. And even though they've, they've dealt with some injuries uh, with the offensive line, some questions there, I just think that the tempo that they play at, they should be able to control the line of scrimmage. That's why the spread is four touchdowns. For as many questions as we have about Joe Milton, you shouldn't really question that Tennessee ground game. It is worth noting again, Virginia, top third in the country in yards per rush allowed last year. Not Basura there, not Basura, mm-hmm. but uh, didn't really face teams that could establish their own like Tennessee. I don't, I don't think that that will be something that they fall back on enough to be able to, to even keep this one close. I think Tennessee in front of what should be a home crowd should dominate from start to finish. I was at, when I was at uh, Orlando for the NCAA tournament and Virginia and Tennessee fans were both there. You couldn't tell who was who in the, I remember walking in the parking lot. It's just a sea of orange. I'm like, wait a minute. Oh, Oh, okay. That that's Tennessee fan there. That that's Tennessee fan there. Okay. They're all Tennessee fans. Yeah. Okay. I get it. And then I saw like the one Virginia fan that was there for a little bit. Virginia was, you gotta be aware in that situation and wear like the, the deep blue, if you're a Virginia fan, cause it's like, look, these oranges, while they are wildly different from a distance, it just seems like we're all on one team and that team is Tennessee. Yes. If I see orange at Nissan stadium, I'm just going to assume that's, that's Tennessee orange. Okay. Mm-hmm. It is, it is not Virginia orange. I expect that, that Tennessee is going to roll in this one. Even like, I think they win this one 42 to seven. I will probably have Tennessee fans in my mentions. If, and when Joe Milton puts together three ridiculous plays in this one, I still think that this should be a blowout and this should not be particularly close. I don't want to say sound the alarms if this is close, because this is the type of team that Tennessee would just blow out of the water last year and would not have a chance of staying on the field with them. Uh, how do you see this playing out? Do you see this as a, an opener in which Joe Milton should have a lot of success? And we're probably going to end up just praising Josh Leipel's offense. Yeah, man, I'm glad that you brought up that Bowling Green start. You know, I'm getting a little bit of deja vu because I'm going to UCF Kent State this year. And as we always joke about, I was rained out of the UCF Boise game watching that Bowling Green Tennessee game with Joe Milton starting. And I really wanted to just be like, this is just a classic situation where Joe Milton and Josh Heupel could struggle to start off the year. You know, as we've talked about, they kind of get it together as the season uh, goes on. And, you know, when that offense is bad, it's very bad. But at the same time, this is just not a good Virginia team. Like I can't even one of the mid Bronco Mendenhall teams. I would be like, okay, guys, watch out. They could be a little bit scary. But I mean, this is obviously a Virginia team that had like part of their season canceled last year. We're just not really yeah. sure what they are. And so point being like, they've taken a huge step back from the team that we all saw and Dan Mullen's famous uh, Orange Bowl, who could forget. Um, but this is just like a wildly different team that is just not even, doesn't have the Jimmys and Joes to make Tennessee pay. And I, I love that stat about the deep passing, but to your point, it almost doesn't matter because of the amount of threats they have in the ground game where it's like, yeah, it'd be nice if it's there to go ahead and take those deep shots, but you don't need those to beat a team like Virginia just because they're kind of sorry. So that would be a nice thing to be good at if they weren't so trash and everything else. <laughs> but it's like, if that's all you have going for you, Tennessee just has some dudes and that's that's probably going to be it so yeah i would love i think that they will sputter a little bit like i don't think it's going to be this beat down like we saw kind of start off last year um because god their, their team started off hot last year in those out of conference games but yeah i i just think i think uh virginia's too trash so i i think maybe you know to- we all <laughs> another clemson assistant tony elliott you know we i have no no reason to expect he's gonna you know get them back to where they were which again they were a solid team for a couple of years there but they just simply seem to not be anymore yeah, the, uh, the the notion that Virginia is going to be able to to, to, to play with a team at, at this level and play at that pace, uh, maybe they're better set up for this early in the season as opposed to, to playing this game later in the year. But yeah, I, I just can't get on board with that. For as much skepticism as I have about Milton as a whole, 
I think he should be fine in this game. Imagine having to catch that first pass from Joe Milton. <laughs> a rocket. <laughs> my God. Brew McCoy is just sitting there like, God, please don't have this first pass come my way. It's going to be 75 miles an hour. He's going to put all of his mustard on it as humanly possible. Uh, yeah, balls roll week one. Okay. It's a screen that pass. I'm- it's small in the hands. It like breaks his pinky finger. He's like, whoa, relax, Joe. Stuck stuck in the helmet. You're just like, oh my God. This, <laughs> this, 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 this guy, this cat. Take it easy, Joe. Let's, let's take it down. The bazooka, we got Put it in the holster, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, North Carolina, two-and-a-half-point favorite against South Carolina in Charlotte. The over-under I have, you know this. It's over-under of my shot. Oh, it's over-under of shots of my man, Gene Chizik. Mm-hmm. I am – I texted him this morning, wishing wish him the best. Hope all is well with Eugene. It's been a while. You know, I haven't wanted to – you know, I wasn't going to, like, text him after a couple of those rough games last year. Thought about it. Decided not to. Like, hey, I'm still in your corner, man. You know I'm your biggest fan in the world. But I also hope that Spencer Rattler's wish comes true. He is trying to, along with Drake may put on a show. That was his words. I want a show. I think mm-hmm. this game could give us a show. I've already talked a lot about how I think this game checks a lot of boxes, even though it isn't some preseason top five matchup. But I think for a college game day game, this, this is going to be the fun primetime game that you're going to want to flip on after your team has already played, or maybe your team is at halftime or something like that. And you're going to want to watch this one because you've got two incredibly intriguing quarterbacks with NFL abilities. You've got two guys working with new coordinators. Maybe you don't care about that, but you probably do care about the fact that this game has an over under 64 and a half. Okay. These defenses last year, mm, again, we don't trash Gene Chizik. That's not what we do, but let's just say there's room for improvement on that side of the ball. It's one of the highest mm-hmm. totals all weekend. Easily the We're highest pro growth is what we are. We think everyone could just be a little bit better. So that's what the entire offseason is about. Everyone right. will improve. No one is going to regress. That includes the UNC defense, who will obviously get better. Um, he got you know, his guys saying, in there. Those bad eggs from the past regime are gone. Come on now. Yeah, it's it's year one. We don't judge year one coaches. That's not what we do on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Year two, maybe a little bit of judgment. I think that this ends up being a really fun game. I, I do. You just never know with, with Beamer if they're going to bust out a fake punt, trick play. His bowl game appearances so far have been incredibly fun, of course, one of which was against UNC in the Mayo Bowl. I, I'm selling this because I think this game will be worth the attention that it is getting with a primetime slot on Saturday night. Maybe we'll get a last-minute announcement that stud UNC receiver Tez Walker is eligible but that would require something that I'm not holding my breath on, which is the NCAA being prompt about an appeal for eligibility. This situation is, if you're mad about the Mason Smith thing, this, this is probably worse. This, this is so, so frustrating. If you don't know like Tez Walker, what's going on right now, two-time transfer. So yes, I get it. The immediate eligibility thing. That's all a question mark with those guys, but he didn't play at NC central in 2020 because they had a canceled COVID year. Did not play college football there. He has only played college football at Kent state. He was there the last two years. He was awesome. He was a huge transfer portal addition for UNC and the NCAA changed the rules in January to crack down on the, the two-time transfer stuff after he had already transferred to UNC. So it's really weird. It's messed up. He should be playing. They found out the first week of August that he's not going to be able to play. It's the week of the game. As of this recording, he has no word on whether or not he's going to be able to play in this one. He's like, it's BS. He's right. He's 100% right. At least get some clarity. Like, how long does it take to listen to an appeal when the case has already been made? It's been very, very obvious. So 
that could have a huge impact on this one, uh, no matter how that that ruling comes down, because he is Drake May's top target, or at least he's expected to be. I think we get a really shaky Spencer Rattler start and a more impressive Spencer Rattler finish. Kind of mm. like last year, a little bit like last year. He's got some banged up wideouts right now, which you worry about. Juice Wells, you're like, hey, he's not going to be 100%. Maybe Xavier Leggett, not quite at full go for this one. Shane Beamer's talked a lot about that during fall camp. You know, These guys will be ready to go for week one. They're banged up right now. But I don't know. Like, I think it could very much look like bad Spencer Rattler in the first quarter, at least, maybe even the whole first half where he's forcing the action. He knows that the backfield depth isn't there. He knows that Drake May is on that other sideline and he's going to need to make some big time plays. If he presses early on, nobody's going to be surprised. That would be the Spencer Rattler that we've seen a lot of times throughout his career. But I think he settles in nicely. And I think we get a fun back and forth game that is really reminiscent of the bowl game that South Carolina played in against Notre Dame. I think it's, mm-hmm. it's shades of that huge momentum swinging plays left and right. You don't know when they're going to come right. When you think a quarterback has it figured out, Tyler Buckner throws a pick in the end zone, a pick six in the end zone. You're just like, this game is madness. It's fun. I think the big momentum shifting play late that happens is South Carolina blocks a punt to set up a go ahead rushing score. South Carolina wins this outright. Beamer ball is alive and well. He improves to 2-0 and against Mac Brown. So a couple of questions for you. I don't understand. I mean, and I don't pretend to be on the boots on the ground in North Carolina football, but I don't understand how having Drake May alone simply isn't enough to propel them a little bit above 21st, considering how well they played above expectations last year. I mean, you know, you talked about the transfer, but that's a new guy. Like, why are we, why are they supposed to be so much worse than last year? Just losing Phil Longo? Losing Phil Longo is definitely part of it. Um, it's not that there's – it's reflected in the Heisman odds with him too. There right. Was he's like way there. down there, yeah. Yeah, he's like seventh – I want to say he's like seventh or eighth in the Heisman odds, which I don't I don't think Drake May is going to win the Heisman Trophy this year. I've gone on record saying that. If he was going to win it, he was going to have to win it last year. Right. you got to win it when you're breaking out but because the expectations for him will be so much higher this year. That's definitely part of it. If I were really critical and totally unbiased, this is what I would say. Defense really didn't show you a whole lot to have faith in it. And that's, there's a little bit of this with UNC of, well, we saw Sam Howell two years ago when he came back for that year. And I said he was the best quarterback in college football. And I thought it was a hot take to say that he was better than Spencer Radler coming into that year. Mm -hmm. And they had a lot of pieces to replace coming into that season. And there was this, like, you know, you're replacing your backfield with Michael Carter, Javante Williams, and they they were really, really bad for too much of that season. And it was like, it's Sam Howell and everybody else. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of that, I think, with Drake May, especially now with this with this Tez Walker ruling. So that could be why their ranking's a little bit lower. And they didn't finish very well. I mean, they, right. they had a, a start where people questioned how good they were because they didn't beat a ton of really good teams. And then they finished the way that they did. If they had beat Oregon in the bowl game, it would have been different, but they weren't able to hold on to that one. So that's probably why. I'm, I'm fired up for this one, man. Um, you know, either way, I think both of these teams are incomplete. I think they both have a lot to learn, and we're going to learn a lot about both of them. I think this is similar to the um, Arkansas-Kansas game, where I was like, well, the winner of this game should just be called Arkansas or Kansas. This should be the team that is allowed to put Carolina in bold letters on their hoodies. Um, I think that we should have no bold letter Carolina hoodies from one of these teams after they lose. That's all I'm going to say. Um, but yeah, I I think that, um, you know, again, so interesting because you feel like, you know, these teams, but then also these are going to be new versions. Um, I think that I, you know, again, being unbiased, the defense was pretty tough, um, last year for UNC. 
Um, but this, you know, if we think about where South Carolina was at this point last year, I mean, they were they were not good. They were struggling and struggling and struggling to get everything put together. And now they're kind of coming off, you know, a, a, the kind of weird offseason they had. Um, Spencer Rattler obviously is a steadying presence, but his play itself is up and down. So I actually think I'm going to go with North Carolina here. I think that uh, all their defense has to do is not give up the type of day that Tennessee had. Um, and obviously South Carolina has been uh, the thing that, that South Carolina does well is unpredictable, right? So it's like hard to be like, well, because exactly what you just said, that exact situation where they block the punt and then rush one in, very possible happen. Things like that happened in the Matung last year. But when I'm thinking about previewing a game, it's like, it's hard to imagine that to be, uh, you know, the, to start off a year that way. Um, so I think that um, as weird as it sounds, having a solid amount of good tape the way that Drake May does is better than a lot of up and down tape the way that Spencer Rattler does. And I think that this team has to do a lot to get on one page, whereas UNC, um, I feel like, you know, they're in year two of kind of the defense being a little bit um, unstable, whereas we're not sure what the South Carolina offense is going to be. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I think that little bit of experience, as strange as that sounds, when you're talking about Spencer Rattler, we feel like we've seen forever. I think it's going to um, help North Carolina in this one. If he plays a game that makes you think he's just never going to get it, I don't think anybody would be that surprised. I, I, I don't. Um, and you're right. South Carolina has has holes. This, this is a team that that has major, major questions in, in a few key areas, especially the backfield, especially at the line of scrimmage. I, I hope for his sake, just because I love his story and I love, love what he's represented to the university, but I hope to carry and join it doesn't become a punchline of their RB1 is mm-hmm. a converted receiver, quarterback, quarterback receiver. That would be a really tough thing if that continued. And if he instead emerged as this guy who's a reliable piece of the offense and is more consistent with his touches, way more consistent than he was in the Marcus Satterfield offense, I think South Carolina fans would feel so much better. But there are a lot of questions. And you do, I, I did find myself this entire offseason feeling like, yes, I ask all these questions. And then I just find myself looking up and be like, oh, I guess they beat them. Oh, look, wow, they won as an underdog here. Oh, they, they beat the crap out of Auburn when they weren't supposed to. Oh, they helped lead to the end of the damn Mullen era at Florida. Oh, they did that. Like they they do these things that don't make sense on paper because of the unique ways that they can they can score. And I think they might get a couple of those in this game, but should be a fun one. Uh has definite game of the day uh potential knowing what these two teams have working in their favor, and hopefully that overheads. Yeah, and unfortunately, like the Jaheim Bell transfer is a guy that I hated for both sides of it because it's like, oh, great. I wanted to see him another year with Spencer Rattler. I wanted to see that little release valve for him and that might get their offense on the same page. On the other end, I'm like, great, now I got to see this guy at Florida State. This is awesome. (laughs) So, yeah, I just wish they still had him because that would make me feel weirdly way better because he was such a dynamic athlete, especially towards the end of the year. Let's talk about that team, Jaheim Bell's new squad, Florida State. (laughs) Yeah, uh, you knew we were going to get to it. Number five, LSU, two and a half point favorite against number eight, Florida State. The game of opening weekend in my neck of the woods down here in Orlando. We will both be there. Cannot wait. That's going to be so much fun. I Like when you look at matchups a few years out, you just don't know how it's going to break. And there are so many moments leading up to this one where I thought like, man, this is going to kind of suck. Like this is especially like what LSU went through 2020, 2021 and Florida State up until obviously the latter half of last season just made you think, man, this one really is not going to probably maybe even won't, won't be worth my time to go to this one. And now we're looking up and it's a matchup of, of top 10 teams. The over under mm-hmm. I have five shots of Mason Smith and sweats on the LSU sideline. Yeah, man. 
I get so frustrated thinking about it. I really do. I, I, two of the biggest games of opening weekend, we have a star player sitting out because of an NCAA punishment mm-hmm. in the year of our Lord, 2023. When everyone's just, not only legally cheating, but still illegally cheating openly. That's the best part. And like, yeah, I mean, I, I love that uh, context about the North Carolina guy because his situation is worse. It's the fact that he did something that was legal when he did it. And then it got rolled back. Whereas Mason Smith's situation is like, well, you guys, t- like whenever he did his quote unquote infraction, it was technically illegal, but that was so long ago that it was, it isn't even, you know, wouldn't be viewed that way today. But yeah, I just, I think that the NCAA is just making no favors for itself, you know, as the conferences start imploding as all the money starts getting in there. It's like, this is when we need the NCAA the most to actually step in and be, you know, the adult in the room. And they're just like sitting there with their heads in their books, like Randall from a uh, recess. And they're just like, Oh, do you have your hall pass? And it's like, brother, the issues with the sport are so much deeper than this. I, you need to get prioritize your life. Worry about you first NCAA. All right. You're about to be banished. If this keeps going this way, you'll have no power and just March madness. Is that habeas corpus or ex post facto? I'm not really good with Latin terms, mm-hmm. but it's one of those things. I think there's that 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 either Mason Smith or Tez Walker uh, is dealing with right now. But yeah, it's it's stupid. It's really really stupid. I wanted to see Mason Smith play in person. Mm-hmm. I will, I guess, settle for seeing Harold Perkins, who look his most notable play in this game last year was what penalty on special teams, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah, and Brian Kelly crazy. finally came out and was like, hey, we're not really using him as a traditional little linebacker. We play we play a little prank on you. Like they were like, we're gonna rove him around, make him a little bit of chaos. Somebody compared it to what Michael Parsons did in his rookie year with the Cowboys, where like mm. they, basically they were like, Hey, you know, you're gonna have to account for him in every snap. And that was the big thing with me and Harold Perkins. If you just stick him in the middle of the defense and you're like, All right, well, at least we have a couple of seconds before Harold Perkins is charging at me like the water boy. But apparently they're gonna move him around the line of scrimmage and make the defense like kind of realize where he's at. And that's all I can hope for as an LSU fan. Yeah, that's. I hope that his duties are in the backfield and not behind mm-hmm. him. I don't need to see Harold Perkins trying to cover in space that much. I realize that in a in a modern defense, you have to be able to do that. Everybody has to be able to cover unless you're playing interior defensive line, I guess, to mm-hmm. a certain extent. But I want to see him in those exact spots. The battle between he and Jordan Travis is the battle of opening weekend. Yep. And this is opening weekend. It's going to be awesome. What I thought Jordan Travis mastered last year that wasn't there in years past whenever I watched him was the scramble while keeping all options open. Mm -hmm. I think when a quarterback scrambles, more times than not, you know what he wants to do. Like, does he want to keep a play alive to attack downfield like Bryce, like Baker, like Mahomes? Or does he want to use his legs to pick up a first down like a Jaden Daniels, like an Anthony Richardson? I thought Will Levis a lot of the time. Bo Nix at his best is really good at keeping you off balance in those spots, which is what I think Jordan Travis is so good at entering what's year six of college, which is just crazy. We just kind of forget the Louisville part of his career and focus on Florida state. But Mm -hmm. for me, this, this game, it comes down to those moments. If he is going to extend plays and at least give guys a chance to make a play, this will be a really frustrating day for Matt house and that LSU defense. They might have the right calls. They might feel good about their coverage, but they could have instances where Johnny Wilson or Keon Coleman, one of these big bodied Florida state receivers, they just make a play in traffic to extend a drive that probably should have ended. And there's just not a whole lot you can do about that. There's really not. If you're Madhouse, I think you make Perkins your spy this entire time. I mm-hmm. think you at least hope that Jordan Travis is running for his life and trying to make those plays. You have to at least put him in those spots. And if the guy does exactly what I just said, where it's like, he escapes Harold Perkins. He throws a 50-50 ball and a 6-6 receiver goes up and makes a play. 
round of applause. They Mayor. earned it. Okay. That's you, you, you have to give them that. That's, that's the area where Florida state is probably going to be really good this season, even if they're not good against LSU in the opener. But I, I just think that there are other ways that LSU is going to have to find help in coverage. I think Omar Spates, the transfer from Oregon state should really, really help with that. That's something mm-hmm. he did a lot more than Harold Perkins last year, obviously playing a different position in a different role, different defense, but I think that's going to be so big. And then on the other side of the ball, we have another elite quarterback pass rusher matchup. Jared verse is a stud. He was projected to be a first round pick. If he had gone into the draft this past year mm-hmm. and instead he's like, Nope, I spent only one year at Florida state. I was, he was at, uh, he was at Albany for the first part of his career, but just a guy that absolutely exploded. He had two sacks in this game last year, which was really his coming out party. So you've got an all American who's chasing Jaden Daniels. Jaden Daniels is not going to be scared of anyone. He's not Mm -hmm. year five starter. I don't really worry about that with him, but how many times does he make those plays with his arm? He's not going to be able to outrun everybody. If he gets into those spots, where does his mindset go? Does his mindset go to where's Brian Thomas? Where's Malik neighbors. Okay. Where's Kyron Lacey? Where, where are these guys? Where's Mason Taylor downfield? Or does it default back into, I've got to do this to be able to get the edge and get to the sticks. You can't just do that against Florida state. Florida State's got too much speed. They will make this a really difficult day for him, much like they did for most of that game last year. Mm-hmm. So that's what we need to see. That's the growth of Jaden Daniels. I've been lower on Jaden Daniels, I think, than the consensus this offseason. And that's the thing right there that I want to continue to see him do against a defense that was really good last year. Florida State was number four in America against the pass this past year. And they returned almost everybody on that group. The only guy that they had drafted on that entire team, Florida, uh, it was – South Carolina defense back, former South Carolina defense back, Jamie Robinson. That's it. That was their lone draft pick. So they're gonna, they're confident. They're the ultimate good vibes team. They're confident coming into this game. We'll see if they're overconfident. I just worry about this matchup for LSU. I think it's a bad matchup. I'm not saying Florida State's going to be a better team, but I think this is a bad matchup. I'm a little bit more worried now without Mason Smith, and I know Makai Wingo is a stud. I expect him to, I expect him to be able to make plays. But I'm going to do LSU a favor. I'm going to be the doubter, just as Jaden Daniels said to all his teammates with the custom Beats headphones that he gifted to them. Mm -hmm. I think LSU comes up short. Florida State wins by a touchdown. There are so many vibes on the line with this one, Will. How do you see this playing out? And uh, admittedly, you're you're telling yourself this is a way different game than last year, right? Oh, 100%. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think both teams are a little bit underrated almost last year. Um, And I think both teams are battling being a little bit overrated coming into this year. You know, we've talked about with FSU, they're battling that, you know, you haven't beaten Clemson with LSU. It's okay. We well, had some of these fluke wins and you're the AM game. And so it's a completely different turnaround because these were teams that were both shockingly good last year. And that, that lost FSU just got better and better and better as the year went on, uh, even going through bowl season. Um, <laughs> we love a quality loss in the SEC, but no, I think that um, you completely hit on that as far as what makes me feel. Okay. So, what makes me feel bad? Mason Smith being out is obviously not good. Um, I think that, you know, the depth behind him and like not to like get too deep into the LSU stuff, but they have a ton of transfers specifically on defense. I think that LSU's offense is one of the surest units in college football. I think the amount of guys they bring back, fifth year starter quarterback, not all LSU, obviously, but I think that those are things you feel good about. Will Campbell getting with number seven, which he decided to wear as a patch. That's cool. Which I think was a great move because yeah. big dude wear number seven, you know, as a big dude, I'll tell you, makes you look a little bit bigger when you get that single digit number. You know what I'm saying? So yep. that was a good uh, swag team captain move by him. But yeah, I think that, um, the 
So what I don't like is Mason Smith. What I do like is exactly what we just talked about with Harold Perkins and Omar Spates. I'm right there with you. I think Omar Spates is actually weirdly going to be kind of the X factor here because he has played that position before. And all the way through camp, it was like, well, he's playing like Mike linebacker basically and Perkins is playing middle. And it's like, why are we doing this? This is obviously the wrong move. And and Brian Kelly did a little trick. And he was like, actually, we are flipping those two guys. Because I don't want to see Omar Spates rushing the passer even once. He's a guy who is a cerebral dude, team captain in the Pac-12. You know, he's you know first team. He's, he's had all these things, these reps that make me think, okay, you can adjust to this. You can cover the back end while Harold Perkins is just being released like a wild man into the, into the other front. Um, I think that this year, uh, I, I I like a lot more of what I see from LSU's offense. I think that when Jaden Daniel Jaden Daniels was finally like uh, relaxed in this game was that final two minutes of like real time where he just had two insane drives back to back. But I think you're so on the money here about him and Jordan Travis. I think that when you see Jordan Travis, I mean it's so funny because you look at these two guys and I was like, yeah, they're equally mobile, but. Daniels had way more rushing, like two or 300 more rushing yards last year because he doesn't do what you just described. Once he yep. sees that his first or second read, second read was a little bit gen, uh, generous to about the f- first half of last year. Once he sees his first read wasn't open, and the second read didn't open, he's going to take off and do his like hezzy and get the guys going and make people miss. Um, and I want to see more of that from him because his receivers, I think LSU should trust their receivers over any group of defensive backs in America, especially in modern football where you don't see these like hard-nosed joyless murder ball guys as often i think that these these guys are built to win one-on-one matchups i think he needs if he can sit in the pocket and deliver the ball the way he did in the very end of that last game i think it's gonna be massive so um i i i do have lsu pulling this one out maybe it's a little bit of a homer pick um but i think at the end of the day one thing that i do want to spot in on and uh max toscano my boy that does x's and o's uh for valley shook he talked about the counteractions, key in on the counteractions in this game. FSU absolutely ripped LSU and New one last year with these counter plays where they would start right and go left, and the whole line would be like, whoa. And like they would just be completely like they'd never seen a counter play before. And the whole thing is like, how do you even fix that? So it's 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 two things to defend that with LSU. It's like, well, yeah, you had the sparse class, so you need to bring in all these transfers. Hopefully these older transfers, we keep seeing these themes of like guys that have been around and you know, they're not as easy to trick as some of the the younger recruits that we've seen in places like Florida, like I think that hopefully those guys will be uh, mature enough to keep gap um, discipline because that's going to be the key to this game. If these guys start looking in the backfield, if these guys start getting caught, Jordan Travis wants nothing more than for you to think you have a free lane in him because he's just going to do a little bloop over the head. And so, yeah, I think that's the two things is counter plays on one side and Omar Spates on the other side, trying to clean up that kind of middle of the field. But I do have LSU winning and just a, a small – I'm going to be having a heart attack no matter what, but hopefully it's different than last year. Yeah, the difference between a throwaway and a jump ball is might be the difference in this game. How many mm-hmm. times is Jordan Travis forced into a throwaway versus a jump ball? Like mm-hmm. if, if LSU limits those those opportunities – you 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 should feel really really good and like they should have a chance to be able to even have balance in this one dare I say because I think LSU should be able to run the football more than it did last year and not just the running the rushing numbers totally skewed if you didn't watch LSU you thought like oh yeah that, that was actually like a fine running team and then realize well it's not design runs it's just plays none of it was down. planned it was just Jaden doing his yeah. thing out there it was like an eight hundred yard rusher just from like vibes. Yeah, like you, you need more than all right. Josh Williams four yards here. Noah Kane on the goal line, two carries. All right, he gets in, but it's not it's not anything that scares you. LSU mm-hmm. establishing that in the opener would go a long way. Whoever comes out of this with a victory, man, the the vibes could not be could not be better about mm-hmm. breaking through 
and getting to a playoff berth. And I say breaking through knowing that both of these teams have obviously been to the college football playoff, but still doing so with these head coaches, it would just feel so unbelievably massive. And like they mm-hmm. would instantly be a top three team potentially. Could that, I mean, is that up for grabs? I think so. Nobody's going to have a better win than either of these two teams. Let's Middle Tennessee goes in Alabama and pulls off a victory or something like that. But mm-hmm. I mean, with the exception of that, so Saban wasn't releasing, releasing the depth chart in that one. So you can tell he's a little bit worried. All right. <laughs> Look, I mean, Rick Stockstill has been there for like 18 years now. We don't sleep. We don't sleep on the blue Raiders, not the red Raiders, but the blue Raiders. Okay? We, we do no sleep power. on the red Raiders, but the blue Raiders, we've seen them beat Miami and embarrass them. But yeah, I will say this too. The funny, I love Brad Kelly's strategy of like, stressing the running game is just bringing in eight running backs. Like he was like, we're just going to have so many running backs on this team that you guys constantly feel pressure. <laughs> and I like that type of psycho move. It's just like, you know what? Emery, we just might never see you. If you just decide to fumble, you might just be banished to Narnia. and That'll be it for you. I keep forgetting about Logan Diggs too. He's a guy that I probably haven't talked about enough. The Notre Dame mm-hmm. transfer, but I, I was, I was like reminded a couple of times during the offseason. Oh yeah. They, they added him as well. They've really just tried to stockpile and just hope one of them pops. That's really mm-hmm. what this comes down to, which LSU has not had really since Clyde Edwards Alaire. They can have that that true like go to back. And this is year like five of us both rooting for Noah Kane to turn a corner. And hopefully this is the one. We really need it this year as LSU fans. Yeah, I'm holding on to that Noah Kane stock. You're gonna have to take it from my cold dead hands. <laughs> Same, <laughs> right, yeah. Let's let's do three wishes. Uh new new idea here that we're gonna do for preview pods. First wish, SEC fans, I do not want and I realize this is going to be tough. I do not want you to overreact to your new offensive coordinators. Either way, we've talked about it a lot this offseason. Ten new offensive coordinators in the SEC. Eight of them face either Group of Five or FCS foes. The only two who do not. Dow Loggins with South Carolina at UNC. Joey Halsey at uh, at Tennessee with uh, against Virginia. A very favorable matchup. Halsley, by the way. I don't know why I said like the pop star. No, Halsley. Even those two guys, though. Probably shouldn't overreact to what we see in the opener against porous ACC defenses. Even if they put up 45, 50 points or something like that, doesn't necessarily mean that they're ticketed for success. And the best example I could bring up is last year, Broyles Award winner, Garrett Riley, might have heard of him, mm-hmm. went into the fourth quarter against Colorado without an offensive touchdown. People forget mm-hmm. that. In Colorado, Basura, very much last year. Things the worst team in okay sports, I would say. So much so they let so Dion just come in there and fire everyone. <laughs> Colorado was nearing relegation uh, relegation status if they did not hire Deion Sanders. Let's just say mm-hmm. that. Last year, Auburn looked like an offensive juggernaut in the opener against Mercer. Brian Harson was doing the us against the world thing. Turns out the world was right. The world had <laughs> Unfortunately, the world won. I fought the world and the world won. Chuck that up, chalk that one up for humankind. Okay. They, they, they were right. And I get it. Like you don't want your OC, your new offensive coordinator to start off really bad against, Oh, I don't know, Sam Houston. That would be a tough look. If you did that, like A&M did last year, wasn't a new offensive coordinator. It was very much an archaic offensive coordinator in Jimbo Fisher. If you want to, call he was him saving that. all the good plays for Bama. That's the, that's the thing. They got to let him call plays against just Alabama this year. LSU too saved all a good place for them. Okay, need, man. Need not forget, yeah, had to go there. He did have the this good place the, there. Lots of counters as well that time. Counters, yeah, did not work against LSU. Just saying, mm-hmm. this is the first time where eight months of confirmation bias is either confirmed or denied. It's something we talk about a lot. It's really mm-hmm. simple though. It's also week one. 
someone that's new at the controls, not necessarily how the finished product is going to look. Remember the Manziel doc where the first game they lose to Florida and Kingsbury is like, yeah, I should have just let Johnny loose mistake on my part. I'll eat that one mistake by the new OC. We know what happens after that. I'm not saying Sam Bankman free to football. This guy keeps getting paid. The Cliff Kingsbury (laughs) got Johnny and Pat Mahomes just going 500. Anyway, (laughs) it all goes, it all goes back to 2012. I'm convinced that is the biggest thing that is working in Cliff Kingsbury's favor. favor. If that is not at the top of his resume, I'd be stunned. It definitely Mm -hmm. is. I think we're going to get a ton of good vibes from new offensive coordinators because of how lopsided these matchups should be in theory. So just, Take a deep breath and realize it's, it's might not necessarily be a sign that your team is going to score, you know, 60 points a game. Remember my quote last year, Connor, I may need to find something that makes me happy for a while because it won't be this <laughs> after that FSU game. And I was wrong. I was very happy for most of last year. Yes, you were. You were. And you know what? That's, we just, you can't look too far into week one. That's the moral of the story. Mm-hmm. Even though we will definitely be doing that when we react to this on Sunday, but you know, just mm-hmm. don't look too far into this. Number two, my second wish is I want clarity on the Bama quarterback situation. That's all I ask. I don't need mm-hmm. to be right on this. I just want clarity. I would like to get a feel for who this staff really supports and what the identity of this group is going to be instead of this constant shuffling of the deck. Oh, Milrose taking first team today. Ty Simpson's got first team today. Oh, this guy's improved. That guy's improved. I bet they would like to have that figured out going into Texas. That's just my thought. It's incredible to think that the last time they let several quarterbacks pretty much have a quarterback battle in a game leading into a season was the 2016 opener against USC in Dallas. Just the most disrespectful <laughs> thing ever. USC's out there. They're doing, yeah, they know the hold me back thing in the pregame. And they're like caged animals. They're ready mm-hmm. to go. And Bama's like, ah, you know what? Let's just shuffle through like three different guys. We'll figure this out. We got plenty of time. <laughs> and obviously... They did, and uh, yeah, USC looked pretty dumb after that one. But that worked out because Jalen was the guy. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's fair to expect someone to emerge quite like that. I do think it's fair to expect someone to at least look the part. Just look the part against Middle Tennessee. That's all we're asking for. My guess is that Jalen Milrow takes that first snap. I think we see Ty Simpson in the first half as well. I'm... I don't think it's going to be like one, one, one or anything like that. I, I don't think it'll be totally even. I'll be surprised if Tyler Buckner emerges. That That's the only thing that would surprise me at this point. If he ends up being the guy uh, that would be throwing out everything that I've thought throughout this preseason, but just, just give me a guy I'm tired of talking about the battle. Let's see who the Alabama starting quarterback is going to be. Well, he's not going to, so quit asking. <laughs> the no You're still guy. asking. He told you to quit asking like five years ago. <laughs> Maria Taylor handled that so unbelievably well, too. She's like, for sure, for sure. I would have just at that moment been like, back to you guys in the booth. That's it. You could have shown him your underpants. <laughs> under right yeah, no, I think I, that. I would have been a beta. I, I'm just saying. I would have been a beta through and through. She, she handled, just roll with it. That is how professionals get things done. But yeah, yeah this, I'll this give, time. I'll... Look, I, I just don't think that anybody's going to anybody's going to even ask Saban afterwards about the quarterback situation. Just, you can't, you can't be that, that meme for, for the rest of time. Yeah. Or everyone should just do it. And then what's he going to do? He's just going to have to keep answering. Uh, but yeah, no, I think you guys should all think about it. Just unionize, get together and just start asking him that same question. Uh, but we've talked about it. These people have too much power. We need to know. Uh, anyway. So yeah, I think um, I'm, I'm, you know, I will say this, Nick Saban, as, 
as much as I like, you know, joke about, you know, we all acknowledge his greatness, but he hasn't really given us a lot of this game, like Dabo style gamesmanship about the quarterback stuff. Like, I think that it has, he has really wanted to like have his guy, let that guy be a leader, find his voice. I think that just speaks to like, this is the best uh, solution for this situation at the time, which is that, you know, you want to give both guys a fair shake in a game. I think that they both, uh, well, Milrow has earned it based on last year. Ty, obviously they liked a lot of the things they saw, you know, with you know, practice and, and from his uh, high school tape. So yeah, I think that that is just the best situation. I don't think it's any type of a bluff or a ruse. I genuinely think that he's trying to see who the best guy is and he needs obviously into the season, which is, you know, these days a little bit more rare because of the amount of guys who transfer and stuff like that. But obviously that was a lot more commonplace. I mean, how many years still you have two quarterbacks, you know what I'm saying? So I think you, we got to relish these moments when we have them, especially a place like Alabama, um, because I mean, there's not been a more fun drama filled season. What was the 2015 season in Ohio state where they had like three quarterbacks that were all really good. Um, and maybe Bama has a little bit different situation of like comparing any of those guys to the, the leading touchdown score in Big Ten, Big Ten history in Parrot. But I think that, uh, you know, this is going to be a moment uh, for all of us as college football fans to think, like you said, I mean, I'll never forget Hurts, you know, taking that first snap, kind of like fumbling it and like Lane Kiffin just being like, yeah. we're sticking with you, man. We're sticking with you. And I think that was a big moment and it showed kind of Lane as a play caller. And I think that these stories will live forever. So it's cool to have that little bit of controversy, especially if you don't really have, you know, someone to play for the first couple of weeks, you can just take your time. If you play at FSU, he'd probably be a starter. <laughs> Yeah, huge decision long term. Obviously, in the short term, not probably going to have to worry about the the end result against Middle Tennessee, but could be what determines whether or not this team wins an SEC championship, plays yeah. for a national championship. Could be the decision that determines that. Third wish, I just want one Robert Patrick Petrino blow up. That's it. Oh yeah, just one. I don't need several. I I just we've been asking for this for a long time. We have not had this in the SEC since year one of Rich Rod. The one year that we got of Rich Rod at Ole Miss. That's it. That's all we got. Well, we had Pelini and Ogier. <laughs> Did we get press box blowups though? Because those are those are contained mm-hmm. in a different sort of way. If a guy blows up on the sideline, you're used to seeing that. Yes, yeah. that's, that's one thing. But Petrino is. Uh, he said he, he said early on that he was leaning to being in the press box as opposed to being on the sideline. Smart. I I applaud that. That that is way better. The camera can focus in on him. We're gonna get like if he throws a pen off the glass, the ricochet that we're going to get to see a different hue of red. When you've got that lighting, that's kind of hitting him there. I, he can't just put his hat down necessarily like he could on the sideline. He can't really see him. I, I think that we're due for one of those. I, I think even Aggie fans would love to see it. Like if it's in this game where they're up, I don't know, 28 to nothing. That's a sign that A&M is on the up and up. Kirby goes berserk when they're up 52 to nothing in the middle of a game against Vandy. Like, why, why, why wouldn't Robert Patrick Petrino losing his mind, maybe not quite to Ken Dorsey levels, why wouldn't that be seen as a positive too? I think it would be. I would love to see it. Just give me the Petrino blow up. Maybe like the receiver runs the wrong route on fourth down, delay a game on third and two. I, I don't, it doesn't need to be this is World War Three. This isn't going to work. But there are small little things that can happen over the course of the game that can yield this. Let's see it. Just just give me that and I'll and I'll shut up about it for a little bit because I know I've talked a lot about it. I love the Petrino move of like classic battle strategist of like, I'm going to get the high ground in this little like ego beef. Like I'm just going to, I'm going to be like Giovanni from uh, Pokemon. I'm not going to do the dirty work. I'm just going to be sitting there with my hands kind of together. And yeah, I think that we're probably not going to see the Ken Dorsey one was the one I was thinking about. It was such a classic, like it was so crisp and like on time. We like threw the headphones, covered the camera, like did all that almost like on a beat. And like, yeah, I think, uh, I don't, I don't think at this point, Bobby's got that type of, that type of gumption to him, I guess. I think he's probably would just be like uh, cursing under, his breath i think we'll get a lot of him cursing yeah 
And it, like in the yeah, broadcast, they'll be like the loop readers being like, he just MF Jimbo six times in a row. And Jimbo's just on the sidelines, like, yeah, all right, sounds good, buddy. And just puts the headset down. It's <laughs> so, like, yeah, I think I, we need, you need to be on that. When you watch him games, really look at that dichotomy. Cause I, we love the hire. We're just joking. Like I, we both think it's like a great situation to have him call plays, but yeah, I, I do think that like, I want to see those two personalities interact for sure. He went one, one in the coordinator draft. Just saying mm-hmm. we're, mm-hmm. we're Petrino believers. We absolutely are. Okay, lock of the week. Minnesota is minus seven at home against Nebraska. Only a seven-point favorite. The $5 bits of broken chair trophy is on the line. Who could forget? Mm-hmm. Fo, Fo Pelini, the legacy. If you don't know that one, look that one up. That's just the internet creating a trophy. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Minnesota's won five of six in this matchup. This is really just about Nebraska being uh, basura in season openers. Just mm-hmm. straight basuras. They haven't won a season opener since 2019. Oh my god! In the last, think about that. That's pretty bad. That's really bad. At Northwestern was last year in Dublin, obviously the year before mm-hmm. that. Illinois, a game that they blow in the fourth quarter. Year before that, it's a little different. It's Ohio State. Still got that's smoke. like mega mind Big Ten stuff too. That's like everybody else is playing cupcakes, so we're gonna have a game that actually matters right now. And you're like, no, no, no. Yeah. We don't actually want that. Just schedule a fun one. That's okay, man. It doesn't matter though. Even when they try and schedule the fun one, they still usually find a way to mess it up. They're four and six in their last 10 season openers. Will they mm-hmm. have losses to Colorado and BYU. They had a three point win against a non Josh Allen, Wyoming team. That I was there for <laughs> Josh Allen, that's a good note. Standard non-Josh Wyoming Allen. team. Not even yeah. yeah. regular Wyoming. They had a seven point win against Arkansas state in one of those four victories and season openers they've had in the last 10 years. And I know Matt rule, he's different. He's going to fix it. Bo Pelini, Mike Riley, Scott Frost, they all contributed to that horrible decade long run of season openers. Nebraska optimism being replaced by reality in the season opener is it's really become a mainstay of the playoff era. It, it, it has become something that look, we didn't get it in week zero. It felt like there was a little piece of me that, that, that wasn't there in week zero. And I think that was it not watching Nebraska blow a fourth quarter lead or something like that, try and put an onside kick or do something stupid on special teams. So yes, I will take Minnesota to cover minus seven. That is your first lock of the week. We're going to get off. Let's just be undefeated this year. How about Mm -hmm. that? Will? it's been defeated. I love, you know, for those of you that have kept up with it, Connor really hit his secret sauce when he started picking against Indiana. And I was like laughing at that, thinking about it. I was like, Oh my gosh, we're picking Minnesota versus Nebraska. This is right in your wheelhouse. I feel great about this one. Yeah, but probably going to be one of those things where now Nebraska is going to go like nine and three. I'm going to pick against them every single week. Yeah. It's just going to totally flip. Chasing so. the dragon of Nebraska loss. Yeah. Yes, we'll, we'll do that, I'm sure, throughout the year. All right, let's kick it to Barrett Slee. Uh, we put a, kind of put a bow on some of the week zero things that we saw. Talked about his SEC predictions, the weird SEC hot seat that that is this year with the buyouts and a lot of other stuff. So here's Barrett. Not excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Barrett Slee. Uh, Barrett, you had to just stir the pot and you made just such a controversial post week zero statement. Everybody gets to watch Notre Dame roll to this victory in Dublin. Sam Hartman's out here looking like, I think JD Pacal said it best. He looks like a Disney character. That's a Disney prince, something like that. Um, and, and you're like, Hey, Notre Dame's a playoff contender. You float that out in the universe. And I don't want to say you got ratioed, but you were on the internet having to defend yourself like explain why you said that after watching them whoop up on a navy team that we don't expect to be exactly in the playoff conversation 
Okay, first things first, Sam Hartman is Jamie Dutton from Yellowstone. I don't I don't know if I'm the only one who thinks that, but he looks like Jamie Dutton from from Yellowstone. Notre Dame's a playoff contender pretty much every year. They've made it twice. They've been in the playoff rankings, I, I think, every single season, multiple weeks. Uh, and that's with average quarterback play. And th- now they have really good quarterback play in Sam Hartman. So I don't really care that it's Navy. Um, yeah, Navy's bad. There's no doubt about that. But Notre Dame showed that they're really good. Those things can coexist, you know? So, like, for those that come out and say, oh, it was Navy. Yeah, it was Navy. They suck. But Notre Dame didn't. They look really good, and they have the missing piece of the equation. So, in normal years, Notre Dame's a playoff contender. I mean, maybe a fringe one some years, but one nonetheless. If you look at Bud Elliott's blue chip rankings, they're in there more times than not. So just by definition or by default, they are. So to go out there and say they're a contender with Sam Hartman, I don't necessarily think that's a hot take. The reaction comes from the fact that everybody either hates or loves Notre Dame and there's no in between. And also the, the word in that tweet, the word contender sort of gets ignored and gets replaced with potential champion. Which, if we're talking about contenders or we're talking about potential champions, those are two entirely different conversations. Like, Michigan State in 2015 was not a national championship caliber team. Those Oklahoma teams, with the exception of maybe 17, were not national championship caliber teams. So, it's reading comprehension that causes the ratio and the fact that it's Notre Dame that causes the ratio. So, I don't think it's a controversial statement. I think, again, it's it's people wanting to believe things that simply aren't true. Yeah, it's, it wasn't controversial at all to say that they're a contender for all the reasons that you outlined. I think people can kind of look at the schedule and say, well, you still got Ohio State this year. You've got USC. You've got Clemson. In theory, you're not a contender unless you win two of those three and then don't have any of those duds. But an 11-1 and one Notre Dame team is going to be part of the conversation that's what history has suggested. i would say they're, they're in uh, 11 and one team if it's to one of those three law if the loss is to one of those three teams no matter what they're in and if the loss is to somebody else and they beat those three teams then they're in too two loss sec champ could make it make it a little bit interesting but like yeah. you're right i mean they're they're at least going to be part of that they're without a doubt like if people saying like oh they, they won't be part of that conversation at all I think that's that's a little bit ridiculous. Playoff contender will take on a very different meaning after the 14 playoff era is over. Yes. USC, though, I think if you are one of those people that went into this, went into this season saying the USC defense is going to be better. I don't know why you were saying that because Alex Grinch <laughs> is still, for whatever reason, the defensive coordinator for Lincoln Riley. But you watch that opener against San Jose State. The USC is going to the playoff and going to win a game in the playoff crowd. How worried should they be after watching what they saw? Well, they should have never said that to begin with, but exactly. Yeah, very, very worried now because it was the same USC, you know, lack of fundamentals, lack of tackling. Everything that USC was last year, they showed it this year, or at least against San Jose State. So if look, I think we can sit here at times and say, okay, it was a season opener, they kind of slugged their way through, whatever. But after what we saw last year from USC, it's a legit concern. And go back to Lincoln Riley's time at Oklahoma. 
it's the same exact story. So I don't even know if this is a USC thing. I think it's a Lincoln Riley thing. And there's no doubt he's a great offensive mind. There's no doubt he's a great play caller, great recruiter, all that stuff. But it's like he doesn't seem to care about defense. And when he goes out and tries to fix it, when he hired Alex Grinch, then he's overly loyal when Alex Grinch isn't very good. So, yeah, I mean, if, I, if you picked USC to go to the playoff, like every single time I saw USC in one of those little 14 brackets that everybody, like everybody's got a different graphic, right? You guys do. We have one 24, whatever. Um, I'm like looking at it going, did a graphic designer screw up? Like wh- what happened here? Like there's no way, there's no reason to do that unless they show that they have a good defense. And here's the thing. Imagine if Caleb Williams wasn't Caleb Williams. I like know. imagine if he was just a decent quarterback, like a, a well above average, but not freak Superman quarterback. I mean, that team would be like seven and five, eight and four. Let's start the free Caleb Williams campaign. Let's get that <laughs> trending on Twitter. Right. It's 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 so bad. And like, I don't know that he is the receiver talent that he did last year, but you know, I do think and I, I map this out with a chaos scenario, he has the path to repeat as a Heisman winner, as crazy yeah. as that sound, how elusive that is, just because of all the things that we've talked about, all these things that look like USC has working against itself and mm-hmm. if he overcomes those things and makes some of the plays that he does like that path is there um your sec predictions you've got three five and seven teams that i looked at AM, mississippi state and mizzou after you had them going five and seven did you say to yourself crap i probably shouldn't have had them going five and seven no i mean <laughs> just no i like missouri i don't know about their quarterback situation i, I just i don't get it I don't understand why people are are excited about Brady Cook and Texas A and M. Man, like, what, are we going to be fooled consistently? Like, I, I, I don't even know if Bobby Petrino is a good offensive play caller in this day and age. Anyway, right? He was back in the day. I don't know if he's a good play caller now. The personality thing is a massive, massive problem. I mean, can you imagine what, look, I don't even know if Jimbo Fisher actually means he's going to let Bobby call the plays to begin with. So what happens when Bobby really calls the wrong plays, then it's going to get super messy. And on top of that, I don't know if they have a good running back core and I don't necessarily trust Connor Wegman or Max Johnson. So when I saw Texas A&M in the AP top 25, it's like, oh God, again with this stuff. Again, like people always say, like I always hear, like even with the Notre Dame conversation, Notre Dame's always overrated. Well, A, that's not true. I mean, historic, like, historically, that's not true. They're properly rated. And then B, Texas A&M actually is that team that is always overrated. So I, I know that if I'm wrong, which I don't think I will be, but if I'm wrong, uh, Texas A&M fans are not ever, ever, ever going to let me forget it. And then Mississippi State, I just... It's Mike Leach. Mike, Mike Leach is so, so historically good. He's a, tr- he's a landmark figure in college football and sports in general. I love Zach Garnett. I think Zach Garnett might be the right guy. And I love the fact that he is sort of taking the right approach. He's saying all the right things. But I mean, to, to think that you're going to go five or go, you know, seven and five or eight and four when you're trying to replace literally a legend, I just, I don't see it, nor should Mississippi State fans, and nobody should judge Zach Arnett by this season either because there's no 
real blueprint for this. Replacing a coach who who died and and having to step in and, and make those changes and tweaks, it is really atypical. We, we you know we, we talk about oh what does it look like for an interim coach? Well, he's not an interim coach. He's he's had yeah. to hire his staff, and so those decisions will definitely come back to him. I want to get back to A and M though because if they go five and seven again, if they if they have that year that every single week it's just a new disaster. It's the, it, it doesn't work from the jump because that's essentially what you have playing out here with the loss to Miami early in the season where it feels like that's when we're really going to find out who A&M is. Have you been saying that they're going to pay the $76.8 million or are you saying that they're going to have the coup to get Jimbo Fisher fired and then we're going to have a lawsuit that's, I don't want to say quite like what we saw from Jeremy Pruitt, but maybe maybe a different degree because the money is exponentially greater. I don't think they can fire him after after the season. The the dollar figure is just too big. We actually finished last season with like a running figure of what it would cost for Jimbo Fisher to be fired after each and every game and also yep. after every season. It's too much. The thing is, okay, yeah, you could have A&M boosters, you know, uh, pass the hat around and and get a lot of money, but it, I don't think it, even that would be enough to to get rid of him. I think the bigger thing is when the revenue checks start coming in from the new TV contract, how big are they at right off the bat immediately? Because would you take a short-term financial loss for the potential of massive, massive gains if you win a national championship or make the college football playoff? That has to be like the breaking point, right? There has to be a dollar figure in there where it makes sense. And you know, it's kind of the same conversation that the, that's been going on, or at least was going on with Florida State and Clemson and the ACC. It's like, all right, if you're going to get, you know, BNY Mellon or JP Morgan Chase to to sort of bankroll you to leave the ACC, like Florida State had tossed around, why can't you do that at Texas A&M? You can, but there still is a point where it just, it would be such a financial hit that, you just don't you, you can't do that for this for the health and safety of your entire your entire athletic department. So I don't think they're going to fire him. Um, I think it might be a couple years. And I mean, what a what an awful situation to be in if you're Texas A and M. You just basically have a lame duck coach for multiple seasons. Yeah, you can recruit, but all these recruits we saw last year, they get the bag and they leave. You know, good for them. They're making their money, but you might see a lot more of that if uh, if Texas A and M struggles again. Who does get fired in the SEC this year? I don't think any, I see. I, I I know I'm going to say nobody, but then somebody like it's just there's always a situation that arises. I guess the one that would be most likely would be Billy Napier. I don't think that's going to happen, but I don't think Florida's going to be that great this year. Six and six, seven and five. They do have the potential for like a four and eight disaster, right? Um, if that happens, okay, yeah, then that might be a, a, a possibility. I don't necessarily think it will, but I guess the floor is the floor is that. So I guess it would have to be Billy Napier, although like I said, that would be stretching. That would be stretching. I think pretty much everybody is safe. I guess Eli Drinkwitz might be in that discussion too. I just I mean that would only happen if Missouri doesn't have a proper view of itself within the SEC, but maybe they don't. 
that gave him a buyout though that's yeah. significantly increased. Now it's in the twenty million dollar range, and that was an extension they that they that, agreed though. to in November. I mean, with the new money that's coming in, like I know it sounds crazy because remember, like two three years ago, it was like, oh my god, twelve million dollars. That's insane. Well, now I mean, twenty, you could get away with that. You can, I mean, especially if you negotiate it down a little bit. I mean, it's a lot. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a lot, but I don't necessarily think it is that crazy. The Mizzou thing, though, is they, they want to be stable. They, and they're the team. I talked about this with, with Hester last week. They're, they're the team that we're, we're not talking about in the offseason at all, despite the fact that they have kind of a one-of-one situation right now um, with, with the contract, with, with the way that they're trying to elevate recruiting, with what they're doing with NIL, with – if you if you stay in state, you can accept that IL money as as a high school athlete. And the interesting thing is that if this contract hadn't been agreed on, I, I think I, I'd be right there with you. I'd be like, yeah, Drink is the most likely person to be fired from the SEC this year. And then I think to myself, okay, so what would cause an AD to do a 180 like that? And be like, why would she have agreed to that buyout? It's almost like you agree to a buyout like that so that you can't fire a head coach. And I think some of these athletic directors don't want to necessarily be in that spot. And they want to say, well, you know what? We just point to that buyout. We got to give them a little bit more time to be able to, to make it work. Weird move all around. Um, mm-hmm. You have Bama losing to Texas and LSU. If that happens, I mean, the state of Alabama, just, just <laughs> shut it down. Like you've, you've essentially mapped chaos into, into the college football world in a way that I don't know that we've seen from Alabama in recent memory, the, the way that th- that would be perceived from both the, both of those losses would be catastrophic. Yeah, it would. I mean, it would be essentially 2010 when they were nine and three. Um, and then lost, I think it was, that, was that the Trevor Knight year? No, that was not, that was, um, oh, that's that way, was yeah, way before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, the quarterback situation is a problem. I think the biggest thing that nobody's talking about is I think Nick Saban grossly misjudged how the transfer portal windows were going to operate. I think that he felt that there were going to be more options in the spring. And that's why he didn't necessarily go after any quarterback in the winter window. Um, whereas Lane Kiffin got every quarterback. He just was like at the shopping mall, just like grabbing every piece of clothing he possibly could. Um, I think because of that, Tyler Buckner is the best of, or not best, I would say he's one of the better of some average options in the portal. I'd say that Auburn got the better quarterback out of the portal than Alabama did. And I think in this situation, if if you have to, if you're Nick Saban and you have to go out and tell your quarterbacks, make me start you, that's a problem. You know, you sort of, if you go back and look at Nick Saban's words when he has quarterback battles, Almost exclusively when he's happy, he says, I want somebody to take the bull by the horns. When he says, make me start you, that means ain't nobody making anybody making him choose right now. So, I mean, if, and here's the thing too, are we really sure Tyler Buckner's good? Because I always make the joke watching that Notre Dame um, bowl game last year. And I don't even smoke, but I needed a cigarette after watching Tyler Buckner. I mean, it was just Three like picks. all over the place. Yeah. And then he lost, or I guess it wasn't necessarily him. He got hurt in the Marshall game, but they didn't play well. And they lost to Ohio State. Those are the only views we have of Tyler Buckner. Um, so I think it's a pretty significant concern. And if they were getting Texas later in the season, then okay. But Texas is loaded offensively. And if they force Alabama into a shootout, I don't know if they can keep up, especially in week two. 
So you have LSU beating Bama. You have them running the table in the SEC, losing that opener to Florida State Sunday night down here in Orlando. Do you have LSU beating Georgia as well in the SEC championship no. and then perhaps getting to the playoff? No. No. <laughs> I mean, I sure. Yeah, Georgia is just a machine. Um, LSU's, I think, better than last year. Um, and honestly, you know, the 50 to 30 score in the SEC championship game last year, like that game was really not as close as a 20 point game. But, you know, LSU could probably make them sweat a little bit. But no, I don't think LSU can uh, can handle that. You have them losing in the in the opener though to Florida State. Was that the prediction that you had before the Mason Smith injury, or not the Mason Smith injury, but the Mason Smith <laughs> suspension as well? Uh, yeah, I think Florida State's really good. Um, I think w- with with LSU and Mason Smith, they can work around that because they have, like, we've seen it. They know how to do it, um, but they were counting on being a little bit more creative with Mason Smith in there. So now they don't, they can't do that. So more or less, you know, you, you can't really build upon what you had as much as you'd like to. So with Florida State, I think the biggest thing for me is I think LSU addressed its biggest weakness pretty well in the portal, that being its secondary. But none of those guys are six foot four. Like every Florida State receiver is six foot four or taller. Um, so it's just a bad matchup at a bad time for LSU. So, yeah, Florida State, I picked them to win before, obviously, with the Mason Smith suspension. Uh, I'm going to stick with that. But I'm so excited about that game. It's going to be awesome. Should be a lot of fun. Are you coming down to Orlando for that? I'm not. I am not. I'm at the house covering all of them. I would love to go down there. but it's uh, Sunday. You got nothing on it's Sunday, Sunday night. It's Sunday. And the kids are out of town, and my wife's going to be in Orlando with the kids at Disney World. It would make more sense. But that would also require me to spend even more money at Disney World in the days where they're not playing that football game. So maybe it is a better, uh, a better option to stay here. I'm just saying I'm, I'm very biased, but you can come down to Orlando and not go to Disney world and it won't be the end of the world. I'm just throwing it out there. I know, I know you got ties. I know you got I, ties, but there are other ways to do, to do Orlando. I'm just saying. I wish I knew about those, but with a wife as a Disney planner, um, yep. Kind of hard for me to do that. <laughs> yes, this is true. Uh, I want to. I want to get you. I know you got to run here uh, in just a sec. New clock rules. A lot of SEC fans are going to see him this weekend, and they're going to say to themselves, "Oh crap! It's not stopping after the first down." What should we make of this? Do you think it's benefiting the teams that are going to be more up tempo, or is there a little bit of like, "Hey, if you want to take the air out of the football and you want to be what kind of what Alabama is aspiring to be this year, there's maybe a little bit more promise in that strategy." I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal, honestly. I don't think it was a big deal last week during week zero. I mean, I think maybe the up-tempo teams will probably have to alter a little bit of how they operate. Um, And the defenses will, too, that are playing those teams. But by and large, I don't think it's going to be the big deal. I think I saw a stat Sunday afternoon where it was like an average of six fewer plays or something like that. Yep. All right. That's fine. Um, You know, it's... I, I like the fact that they still go back to the old rules with uh, two minutes to play or under two minutes to play. So that's fine with me. I don't think it's going to be a huge deal. Last one, karaoke group song for next year. I actually dipped out early for the karaoke I know, group song this very year. Very disappointed um, you. I had I I think I left at like eleven thirty. I had Beamer the next morning that I had to be up really early for, and I was I was I was with him all day. So I was I was like I can't I can't be out to like one or two without a voice. This would be this would be a rough look. I I did feel bad for that. Seeing a video afterwards, I got two suggestions though, and I'll I'll be there for next year. We'll, we'll we'll make we'll make the group song happen. I have my two duets, but I'll be there for the group song as well. Got to go boy band. I I think I want it that way. 
is up there. I think tearing up I like my heart. It. I think those two. I, I I'm not criticizing jump around, but I'm I'm just or Nickelback. I am criticizing Nickelback, but don't boy hate, bands play. Don't hate. Don't hate Nickelback. Nickelback's good. I know they're like the they are they're the formulaic you know whatever. Nickelback gets a bad rep, and I will die on that hill. Um. Okay, that's fine. We started off with with a hot take about Notre Dame, and we closed with. So with no, Nickelback here's the thing, good. though. Here's the thing. Um, we've kind of gotten too far away from like. I think I think we need to bring back the songs from like eighteen and nineteen. You know because. They're still good, and I feel like the audience has changed, right? Okay. And so they still think like Miss New Booty by Bubba Sparks would would slap, or um, you think that always? What always? It always does. It um, does. That's true. Pony Pony by Genuine would be solid. I I don't know that we have the the roster to to do that song proper justice. <sighs> well, then we have to recruit. That's true. That's we true. have to recruit better. Yeah. Okay. That's that's the answer for everything in college football. We got to recruit better. Yep. Just got to be able to make it happen. Uh, Barrett, you're the best. We'll do this again real soon, man. Appreciate it. Later, Connor. Thanks. How about this one? I call it bold and brash. More like belongs in the trash. <laughs> Sorry. I must have missed that one. Bold and brash, week one. It's good to be here, man. I feel like this is one of the few times that we have not had to attach way too early bold and brash predictions to something it's good that we can actually make predictions with things that are just happening in a few days that's mm-hmm. that's beautiful mm-hmm. well we're i don't think we're gonna do bold and brash every single week but maybe maybe like every other week or something like that just because i do want to get obviously people's people's impressions of what a game could look like but i miss bold and brash on a regular basis it's good to have it back Good to have yeah, it's really up to you, the view. If you guys are very good or very bad at it, I think we'll do it more because I like to laugh and I like to watch people win. So, yeah, just don't be mid. Don't be. Yeah, mid. just don't be mid. Don't just be. get out there. Yeah. Go for it. Let it fly. Rule of life. Yes. All right, let's start with this one from Jason Craigie. Jason says Florida wins by fourteen plus. Defense makes great plays great and creates havoc for Utah all night long. And also LSU wins by 14 plus the mask comes off of FSU and the real frauds show up in Orlando. Oof. The state of Florida would have a, a very different balance of power. If that played out like that, mm-hmm. Florida last year, man, it felt like they played in so many thrillers. The amount of blowouts that they had pretty few and far between South Carolina, Texas A&M, but even you know, LSU. South Florida, LSU. Well, blow. I'm talking about blow. Yeah, just they blow scored out, like man. three straight touchdowns the biggest ever game. <laughs> but yeah, I think. I'm, hey, listen, the whole season was thrilling. You're right. Like every week was something. Which is, hey, you're one head coach. I'll do it. What do you think is more likely of those two? Florida State uh, losing by two touchdowns to LSU, or Florida winning by two touchdowns at Utah? Um. Oh man, I. I think I think Florida I think Florida getting after Utah is actually more likely than LSU getting after FSU. As weird as that sounds, I think that FSU is a team full of dogs. Yeah, and I, Florida's wow. already beat Florida has already beaten and embarrassed this Utah team with a I would I would hope would be a worse roster. I don't I don't know. We just flipped because I think LSU winning that game by fourteen is more likely. I could see that happening. I could see walking out of that stadium on Sunday night and seeing a bunch of really depressed Florida State fans who have this this look on their face of crap, we're still far away. 
we're still far away. And that's what it's supposed to look like. I could picture that more than I could Florida winning like that on the road too. That's, yeah. that's the biggest thing that I come back to, but who knows if Utah's situation, like they just can't throw the football. Well, that's the other thing too, is if rising doesn't play, then it's like a whole other game where they might just have, they might just have the, uh, the, the SDE and just be like, uh, and then Florida just punches them in the mouth again. Yeah. Could happen. Let's go to this one from Jared Hollowell. Jared says, one of the big names in the SEC... Oh, God, I hope this doesn't happen. One of the big names in the SEC, like KJ Jefferson, Quinshawn Judkins, Jaden Daniels, etc., gets hurt with a season-ending injury, crippling a team that would have a great season if not for that injury. Oh, boy. Really don't want that. Don't want that. Knock on wood, have not been too many of those bad injuries in camp. Not not too many of those big headline name type things, non-contact things. I think they're managing reps a little bit differently than they used to and stuff and trying to take it easy as much as possible. And it's not so much like, oh, we got to get these guys in shape. So we have to be able to have them out there for every single rep with the ones, all that stuff. So that might be part of it. The most devastating of those is KJ. Because look, I love Judkins. I love Jaden Daniels. Do we think Lane Kiffin's going to be able to find a running back who can do some heavy lifting? Probably. Is he going to be as good as Judkins? No. Garrett Nussmeyer? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm still intrigued. I like. I know it would be devastating if Jaden Daniels went down. It would be. And for a guy that's been through a lot throughout his career, I would totally feel for him. That would suck. But Garrett Nussmeyer, I'm, oh, I, I want to see it. I want to see Garrett Nussmeyer uncorked. The gunslinger, I'm not saying he's going to be Brett Favre or anything, even though I think he thinks he's Brett Favre. Mm-hmm. I'd still like that would be my mind would immediately go to that. Whereas Arkansas, you take KJ Jefferson out, all of a sudden it's like, oh boy, we our saw options it are limited. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I hate that prediction because number one, it's, it feels like rooting for injury. And then number two, it feels like it, you could slant almost any injury to prove you right because it's like, oh, Alabama lost their left tackle. Now they lost the game. I was right. It's like, all right, man, I just, I don't like rooting for injuries. Yeah, no, just every. I just want everybody to have fun and everybody to stay healthy. That's all we're mm-hmm. rooting for. Michael Dark says in his in the first edition of Big Ten on CBS, still weird. Indiana upsets <laughs> an Ohio State University. <laughs> Gary gets so fed up with trying to pronounce all of the Eastern European last names in the Big Ten that he spontaneously combusts. That we didn't think about that. That's a really good note. That like in the SEC, you really don't have a lot of crazy names. To be honest with you, you're messing up like Mark Ingram and stuff. You got these uh, use checks and stuff up there. That is gonna be Gary's. Just gonna be like white flag by halftime. Uh, look, Gary's. I mean, Gary's a big ten guy. He's a big ten mm-hmm. guy. He's a Purdue guy. You know, we he grew up in Michigan. I think he's gonna do okay with that group of people. Gary Danielson to the Big Ten on CBS, which he's still calling games on CBS this year, this last year of it, but in the first part of the year before we get SEC on CBS games, he'll be doing that. Um, but it is the equivalent of Pete Golding at Ole Miss. That like that's that's what this is how this is going to feel. Mm-hmm. You're going to have like people that like nobody for Alabama, I shouldn't say nobody, but there are way more people that root for Alabama that will not be rooting for Pete Golding to have success at Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of SEC fans that will not want to see Gary Danielson thrive in his element, but he could very well be in his element. And maybe that's just the type of, of people that will be more tolerant of him than SEC fans. I don't know. It's just going to be weird. 
It's going to be really weird. Not, I'm not, I'm not going to be getting used to that anytime soon. Yeah, I hope he does a great job. I, I would not wish Gary deciding that my team stinks through the first quarter on anyone. I've had so many games where I'm like, Gary just decided we were going to lose today. Three drives into this one, and he's just not going to change that opinion. We're up 20. Like, okay. <laughs> I like how Michael slid that in there, that that my my alma mater was going to beat Ohio State. Uh, Don't look, take the bait. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even, I'm even going to tell you no, it can't happen. I'm just going to say no, crazier things have not happened. That would be the craziest thing. That would be the number one thing. <laughs> all right. Grant Haney says, with all the focus being on who is QB1 in Tuscaloosa, it's the defense that steals the show and accounts for three pick sixes, shades of Bama A&M 2015. Kool-Aid McKinstry takes two interceptions to the house and Caleb Downs has the other, putting the nation on notice. Kool-Aid also records his first career punt return for a TD and a tide rolls 52-3. to uh, let's just stick with that one. Cause we got, we got a limited time here. Three pick sixes would be, that would be a state. If there's a way to make a statement against middle Tennessee, three pick sixes would do the trick. It's going to be a more defensive focused team. They're going to play in lower scoring games and not just because of the clock rules. That's just going to be more Alabama's identity. I think they're going to be content with that. And if they got more points from their defense than their offense, I don't think Nick Saban would hate that. Probably be a little bit frustrated, but worse things have happened, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's it's one of those, like, how many games of, of murder ball is it going to take for, like, the national media to just be like, oh, Kevin Steele, Alabama's back. Or they just put him over Georgia. <laughs> like, Georgia fans could be furious. Like, you guys see where we're mad all the time. It's just going to be, like, three shutouts for Alabama. It's like, well, they're back. No questions asked. <laughs> yeah, Bama shuts out Texas in week two. Slides into that number one ranking. Georgia fans are like, come on, man. What what are we doing here? That's, right. That, yeah. Um, all right. Let's go to this one from Joshua Morris. Joshua says, Tennessee gets off to a slow start against Virginia, losing 24 to 7. Oh, they're down 24 to 7 at the half when Tennessee keeps them scoreless in the second half, winning 45 to 24 with Joe Milton throwing for over 350 yards, small right Samson rush for over 300 yards. Tennessee defense has two interceptions and one as a pick six. That's not that crazy. Look, 24 to seven is a lot. If 24 seven in the first half happens, there will be some panic in Nashville. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Tennessee fans are prepared to drink that much at noon. But there would be a lot of I've seen alcohol consumed. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, we've seen it. Um, but but storming back the way that they do, they haven't had a lot of games where they've had to do that. They got off to a rough start against Pitt last mm-hmm. year and came back and looked great and win that game in overtime. That hasn't necessarily been a staple of the Josh Heupel era to come back after being down big and all of a sudden the offense gets going. It's kind of like it, it feels if they either have it or they don't and you know it based on how they respond after they get through their three scoreless possession drought less. So last year when they had the number one offense in college football, that's more of a 2021 thing, but that, that has not been Tennessee's identity to this point. It hasn't really had to be their identity necessarily. Like they, they come out against Kentucky and you know, okay, this is over against LSU. You're like, this is over. This is, this is not a game. You don't have to come back and win. Who knows? Maybe we we'll do Tennessee some good to come back from down 17 scores to Basura, Virginia. Yeah, I'm not taking the bait there. Like I said, any solid team, <laughs> any mid team, I'd be like, you know what? Maybe Mm-mm, this Virginia team is Basura. Yeah. yeah. Let's go to this one from Emory Picker. Emory says Florida loses big time to Utah and a hobbled Cam Rising 17 plus 
they lose by to Utah. It's more the altitude that plays a factor than anything. We'll play the results with that. We played the results last year with the Utah thing. Chris Budden talked about that, about all the different things Kyle Whittingham was trying to do to get him ready for the humidity in the season opener. How much of that plays a part? I don't know. I really don't. I don't know if players would actually be willing to admit that. We'd have to get get them on the whoop or something like that, looking down and being like, oh yeah, this really did impact me. I couldn't breathe in the middle of the third quarter. This was really, really bad. But we probably won't know how much it's really impacting them. Now, if they lose 42 to nothing, we're like, yeah, Florida, there's a reason they don't play in this altitude. They weren't ready for this. If they get blown out in a game like this, even against a hobbled Cam Rising, that will be what we say. So just go with whatever happens, and then that'll be how Florida handles the altitude. Yeah, I love there are still people out there clicking. You're like, well, SEC teams never leave the South, which is like the funniest thing that's ever been said. And like, well, you caught us. If we just had to play in a little bit of nippy conditions, we wouldn't have won like, what, 16 to the last 17? It's all a farce. All the nice weather places have all the playoff games. But yeah, I I, I think you're right. It's like if maybe if the altitude was clearly a factor, but I think that's just going to be whoever it's copium. To be fair, I support that. I want to oh, see gosh. SEC teams. SEC teams go all over the place. I'm not saying that it's going to like, they're all of a sudden going to lose and be a shell of themselves. Mm -hmm. I just want to see it because I think it's fun. I think it's fun. No, I want to see it, but people try to discredit the SEC by being like, well, they're scared to leave the South. And I think that's ridiculous. Yes. Georgia would go up to Wisconsin and win in Madison by, by four touchdowns. I have Mm -hmm. no doubt about that, but I do. I want to see this. I want to see this because I think it's been a part of the sport that's been like largely overlooked at too many key points And the good Mm -hmm. thing about the expansion of the playoff is that we should be seeing that in a hurry and we'll have a lot more of those matchups. Hey, listen, never forget Leonard Fournette's uh, the carrier dome. I don't know why they made him do that, but he did it. Yeah. uh, Who could, who could forget air conditioned carrier dome? I don't know if they have air conditioning actually in the carrier dome. I think they've had times where they haven't had AC in there and it's been a problem. It's Mm -hmm. been a real issue. Got to adjust to that, that Northern New York indoor humidity that that takes Mm -hmm. over. (laughs) Let's end with this one from Andrew D. Giacomo. Andrew says, Harold Perkins is the difference maker this year against Florida State. Travis has a terrible day, and Florida State can't get anything going offensively. LSU cruises to a three-score victory as Daniels accounts for four scores. The only – LSU cruising to a three-score victory, that's bold. Jordan Travis having a terrible day. Just a terrible day. I don't know that he's got a whole lot of those left in his career. Kind of That's just the whole point of Jordan Travis is the worst he usually is is mid because he just doesn't take those kinds of risks. Like he just lets, like he just gets five yards at a time and just, you know. Just a, a smart player who doesn't yeah. make those catastrophic mistakes. Not the type of guy that's going to throw two pick sixes on you and you're just like, what What in the world are, are we doing here? It's not going to go 36 but, minutes of game time with, <laughs> with a completion. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, he's never had – to run for his life with Harold Perkins chasing him down. So who knows? Maybe mm-hmm. Harold Perkins is the difference maker in that one. Okay. I have a, a lad of the week. It's it's football related, but kind of sort of not really. My lad of the week, we might have the same one, Will. We might have the same one. This might be the first one of the first times we've had the same lad of the week. I have I'd be Diddy. shocked. You have who? Do you have Diddy? Mm-mm. Like Puff Daddy? Sean P. Diddy Combs? <laughs> I, know, I, call him? I know who Diddy is. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay, just making sure. He donated a million bucks to Jackson State's developmental fund. Um, Mm -hmm. He made that promise during the BET Awards. I think it was last year. Delivered on that in Jackson State's season opener. Told Harry Lyles on ESPN, if it wasn't for HBCUs, I wouldn't be here. Supporting HBCUs isn't just my honor. It's my responsibility. 
Love to see that. If you know the history of some of this with how underfunded these universities are from a federal standpoint, you know that it is the biggest hurdle for them to be considered even group of five level. And that's why they're, they they do their own thing. They play their own schedule. And occasionally they get to play a power five team. I know a lot's been said about Notre Dame finally playing HBCU this year. And there is just so much more that needs to be done for these schools that can have that have great history, great tradition. And yes, it's great that we're no longer living in a time where, you know, an overlooked black player like a Walter Payton, a Jerry Rice, a Steve McNair needs to go to a place like that to make it to the NFL. Like it's great that we have different ways to discover black athletes. I think that's awesome. But for these schools to continue to get the funding that they need, like they need people like that in positions of power to step up. Love seeing that. Thought that was a cool, a very cool opening weekend moment. Yeah, no, 100%. I think I'm with you. And another guy who's done great work there is Chris Paul. He always has like the yeah. HBCU logos on his stuff. And I mean, it's it's so hard right, if you're one of those athletes because it's like, why do you go to one? It's like, well, bro, like even if you're a top two player, if you go to an HBCU, like all the scouts are going to be against you from day one. So it's like, it's so it's so hard to change something like that. And honestly, like that's one of those things where it's like you have to give Dion credit, no matter what you think of him, is that he at least got the conversation going. Not that he contributed to Diddy, because obviously Diddy's a graduate. Like he has, he was about that life before, but it feels like that conversation is happening more and more, you know, the decision that Travis Hunter made and everything. So yeah, definitely agree. I think that's um important. Mine is actually a pretty uh, pretty funny one. Uh Sam Darnold is the lad of the week. Now, Sam oh. Darnold is a good example of a guy who was just kind of bumped around the league. You know, Sam Darnold, Sam Darnold hero of the 2017 Rose Bowl who could forget not me forgetting that game happened but uh Sam Darnold uh definitely has awesome, man that game was so much fun that, like that <laughs> that was peak Penn State with the, the Saquon run in that game like I had a blast that was like maybe my one of my favorite non-playoff games ever yeah, I just uh, I, I like looked up his name to just see if there were any quotes on it, and there's just a full six minute recap of that Rose Bowl. <laughs> it's just been like hat playing on the side of my screen. It's like a little bit of a cause. Like it seems super cool, but yeah, I think that uh, it, it's it's interesting, and this is like kind of a meme, but it's kind of not because it just goes to like guys sticking with it and not giving up on themselves, and the amount of like kind of look in the mirror that an organization like the Niners, who I mean probably top to bottom are as talented as the Eagles minus the quarterback position. Um, the amount of the amount of look in the mirror that they had to do to trade Trey Lance to the Cowboys for a fourth round pick after giving up what they did for him um, just kind of goes to show that, like, you know, if you're a guy like Sam Donald, you enter in that situation, no one gives you a chance, right? You're just like, well, I'm behind, you know, this wild story in Purdy who we have no, still honestly have no idea who he is because he got hurt kind of towards the end of the last year. Uh, and then you're Trey Lance, who's like the golden child who will keep getting chances because organizations never double back on those decisions. They just ride these guys into the ground and they're like, you know what? That's our guy. We don't care. We've seen it over and over again across sports where like the GM drafts the guy and he's just like, look, I don't care if this guy stinks. We got to just, we got to get something for him. And the fact that they actually kind of turned their heads, looked at Sam Darnold and said, you know, if our guy goes down, we want somebody who's, you know, been a starter in the league. Now how effective so far, who knows? But I think that it's going to be interesting if we see, I mean, I, I think that we were at a point with the Niners where we can kind of say their quarterback situation. Like if the guy who starts game one is the same guy at the end of the year, that would be the first time in a very long time. I don't even know. It's, it's I mean, at least last five or six years that we've seen that. It's actually kind of wild. Some, I, I saw an ESPN podcast the other day. I heard it. That was like going through the amount of quarterbacks they've had and how good they've been. And it's like so underrated that, that they've just had to deal with that constantly in the Jimmy G era. But point be, being... Uh, just credit to Sam Darnold for not viewing that as a job that was just already sewn up and making his statement. And also credit to the Niners for saying, hey, we're not going to make this weird three-headed monster thing. And we think that Sam Darnold gives us the best chance to win as our backup today. He's a guy who's going to pr- 
probably start a game based on how things have gone. So it's going to be interesting for him to get in this like friendly system. And the funny thing about it is people would say, like I saw something the other day that said, if Trey Lance was drafted by a team like, you know, the Jags or something, and then was cut loose, you'd be like, oh my gosh, you know, we got to get him in Shanahan's system and see and see how he's going to play yep. in a different system. And so, of course, like now everyone's getting out of Trey Lance. So I think he's a fine player. I do. I, I always say that like, you know, if a quarterback has one thing, that's kind of can be enough to build on. You look at, you know, Anthony Richardson is right now as a player. It's like you are a dynamic athlete. I, I think that that's obviously what he is. So, yeah, hopefully he gets it started. This isn't like dumping on Trey Lance, but I think that it's cool to see a guy get another chance and hopefully he does the, the, the most with it in a great situation. I'm old enough to remember when people were saying Trey Lance was a better prospect than Justin Fields and Mac Jones. Just, just saying, just throwing it out there, not to – Poor dirt on, on the guy's grave or anything like that. Hope he has success. But yeah, just a weird, weird draft pick in the way that that all that all shook out. And as you as you said, good for Sam Darnold for battling it out. The guy who's had a, a strange start to his career after we were saying really similar things about him coming out. Um, okay, Connor, how does it feel recap- for the first time in your NFL watching career to be like, you know what? You know, it's really easy to make the right decision on a quarterback. You simpletons. Okay, we got a franchise guy. All right, <laughs> so. It's a, it's a great feeling if they could throw forward passes this year and just mm-hmm. have DJ Moore score on every single screen pass. Uh, I would be ecstatic. It would be great. It would be something unlike anything I've had in my entire professional football watching experience. So not to discredit the great Eric Kramer, but yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're holding out hope that, that this is going to be the year that, that it actually looks the part. Just, just show me that Justin Fields is a franchise guy that's worthy of a long-term contract. That's all I really want. And if I get that, I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. Okay, we are going to recap pods. We're going to do our recap pods on Sunday. They will come out early afternoon Sunday. And then our preview pods moving forward will come out Thursday morning. That's going to be the plan moving forward. Leave us a five-star review if you have not. If you don't subscribe to this podcast already, you should. Follow us on X. Yep, still saying that. At the SDS pod, at CJ O'Gara, at Go So Hard. Join the Facebook group. Your name right on air with figuring out what Golden Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.